That last song was so amazing, wasn't it? And thank you, choir, for participating. Um, thrilling to hear that, and I can't wait till this room is jam-packed with people. Maybe still wearing our own masks, but still jam-packed and singing those songs to the top of our lungs. Of course, taking off our masks to do that. What a great day that's going to be. And it's coming. It's coming. And uh, the date is certain. We just don't know when that date is. So we'll wait on the Lord for that great time to come. In Warwickshire, England, near an ivy-grown church, there stands a graveyard with a stone that can be found engraved with this inscription. Get this. Here lies a miser who lived for himself and cared for nothing but gathering wealth. Now where he is or how he fares, nobody knows and nobody cares. Wow. There must have been a boatload of bitterness in someone's heart to pay a craftsman to etch into stone these words that had so hurt their heart. I wonder, was it a betrayed wife? Maybe some irate kids who felt that they had been ignored and forsaken? Whoever this guy was, and if this inscription is even close to the truth, a miser is one who is tight-fisted. It's interesting, in the book of Deuteronomy, giving is described as being tight-fisted or open-handed, Deuteronomy chapter 15. This guy was tight-fisted. And apparently... He didn't live by the ninth beatitude. You say, Pastor, there are only eight beatitudes in Matthew 5. That's true. But this beatitude is not found in the Gospels. It's found somewhere else. It was the Apostle Paul returning from his third missionary journey on his way to Jerusalem. He was in a hurry. I love that portion of Scripture. Paul was in a hurry so he arranged his schedule accordingly. And as he was coming back, he decided to bypass Ephesus, one of his favorite places. He had spent three years there, had made some dear friends, but the time was short and he was afraid that he might somehow get caught up maybe with the friends or he was only there a year before and there had been a riot in the city, so maybe it was a good idea not to show his face again in town. So he bypassed Ephesus and landed on the beach of Miletus, which is a small town on the coast just 30 miles south of Ephesus. And then when they landed, he sent word for the elders, the leaders of the church in Ephesus, to come down and meet with him. Ephesus was the second largest city in the Near East, second only to Alexandria in Egypt. This was an important metropolitan church from which the gospel was spreading all throughout Asia. So these leaders come down to meet with Paul. And he recounts his ministry among them. He tells them that he's not going to see them again. He tells them that he is doing his very best to finish his course, the race that the Lord set before him and to finish the very thing that God apprehended him for, which was to testify of the grace 
of the gospel of God. What a beautiful phrase that trips off the tongue in gorgeous alliteration. The grace of the generous almighty God, of the gospel of God. And then Paul said with tears, tears are mentioned twice in this section of Scripture, he says, I now commend you to God and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified, among true believers. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold, Paul said, or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have earned through work to meet my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that this kind of hard work must be done so we can help the weak. And also, I want you to remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the ninth beatitude, if it can be called such. And you know it well. Acts 20, verse 35. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Those were Paul's last words with his dear friends. The rest of Acts chapter 20 says, when Paul finished speaking, he knelt down on the sand and prayed with them, and they all wept and embraced him and kissed him, grieved because he said they would never see his face in this earth again. And then Paul got on the ship and went to Jerusalem. It's quoted like a proverb, a maxim, a beatitude. It is more blessed to give than it is to receive. It is wisdom turned on its head. Jesus loved to do this. So many of the proverbs are backward to our way of thinking, and that's intentional. So many of the parables have a surprise uh, point to them because Everyone thinks Jesus is leading him in this direction, and then boom, comes the surprise message. This could fall under the category of, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. He uses the word remember just before he says it. It's almost like sit up and take notice. You say this when things are easy to forget. You say this when things are worthy to be recalled. Remember this. This is important. Jesus said it. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Now, I, I want us to camp on this phrase for a moment of time and try to draw from it all the nourishment we possibly can. I hope you do this occasionally when you're reading the Bible and something strikes you that you begin to meditate on it. You uh, chew it up over and over and over. And if you were a cow, you might send it, to, send it to one of your four stomachs and then when hungry again, pull it back and chew out some more nourishment. By the way, that's the way the Scripture is. I've chewed on this text a few times and when I bring it back, it's still got nourishment in it, right? The Word of God is amazing. And you can never exhaust it. So I think it would be beneficial for us to remember this phrase, to dig into it, and ask the question, 
Why is this statement true? Now you might say, well, because it's in the Word of God. Good answer. You might say, because this is the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, right from his lips, and that's true. By the way, the words of Christ and the rest of the Word of God that aren't the words of Christ have equal authority. Sometimes people read their Bibles, these red letters, and they think these must be more important than anything else. No, no. I like the red letters because when I'm reading, I know Jesus is speaking. But the importance and authority, equal. But why is this true? Let me give you three reasons that I've come up with. You may disagree. You may have more. But here's number one. It's because giving reflects the nature of God. That's why it's more blessed to give. You are never more godlike than when you are giving or forgiving. And we're called to be godly, which is simply a phrase, godliness, holiness. All of that basically means the same thing. Live like God. Be godlike in your words and thoughts and deeds. And God is a generous God, magnanimous, big-hearted, extravagant in his giving. You say, how so? Well, let me just quote John 3.16, as if you need for me to quote it. For God so loved the world that he gave. His one and only Son, His only begotten Son. Think about that. The greatest gift He could ever give. He willingly gave. That's generosity. It's not just the giving of a gift. It's the value of the gift. With no strings attached. In the sense that we didn't earn it. We cannot deserve this graciousness of God and it's for all people for God so loved the cosmos which is a word that means order we get our English word cosmetology from the idea of ordering things and the world order which is anti-God speaks of the people in this world who rebel against God which is everyone by birth and God so loves this fallen depraved world that fights against him that he gave. How often do you give gifts to people? How often do you give gifts to your enemy? Wouldn't that be amazing if you have someone that, someone you know that really does not like you, if you'd find out when their birthday is and just give them a gift, just because. That would be like heaping coals of fire upon their heads. <laughs> they won't know what to do with that. Well, that's what God does for us. Let me give you a couple of verses to prove this. We have John 3.16, but what about Romans 8.32? This is a great verse. He who spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, or gave himself up for us all, how will he not with him also generously or graciously or freely give us everything else? It's an argument from the greater to the, latter, uh, the lesser. He's given us the greatest gift, 
Will he not then give to us all the lesser gifts? Absolutely. And not only that, but he continues to give through the Son, because of the Son, everything else with a generous, free, gracious spirit. Our God is a give. He loves to give. And so when you give, you're God-like. Or how about this one from Titus chapter 3? He saved us, not by the deeds that we have done, but he saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal or the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit which he poured out on us generously through Christ. The Father gives the Son, the Father and the Son give the Spirit, and they give the Spirit generously, pouring out the Holy Spirit. That's a, that's a metaphor used often. It's used constantly of the Holy Spirit being poured out like water to a thirsty soul or on a dry land. And that's the generosity of God. It was Gordon MacDonald who said, because God inhabits the believer, in every Christian there is a God-inspired desire for the generous life. Because God lives in us, there is this longing and passion to be like Him and to be generous. Now, that means you have to be truly converted. There's a lot of people who pretend to be Christians who aren't truly converted, and it's no surprise that there's no generosity in their soul. In fact, it's a really sad mark of a person if they are stingy, if they hold and hoard everything to themselves, because that's not like God. And while all of us need to grow in grace, this is a depiction of his children when they're converted they're generous. By the way, a church is evaluated not by the size of its offerings or the amount of people who attend. Church is not evaluated by what it takes in, but a church is truly evaluated by what it gives out. You know, God has blessed us in so many ways. I don't think, certainly not at this time, we need more buildings. And they're paid off, praise the Lord which I think has caused some people to think I don't need to give anymore. <laughs> and, you know, we, we invested quite a bit in technology, and it's a good thing we did. We did it just before COVID. Talk about the plan of God, and it's worked wonderfully. And unfortunately, we're going to have to keep renewing that. Where should we spend our money? It's not what we take in, it's what we give out to the needy, and to the lost. So, why is it more blessed to give than it is to receive? Because giving reflects the nature of God. That's number one. Number two, giving accomplishes the work of God. That is, when we use our resources... People are blessed and grace touches their souls. Pastor Doug read from that amazing portion of Scripture in 2 Corinthians 8 about a 
church touched by God's grace. So they gave even though they didn't have. And they gave themselves first. And then they gave generously and sacrificially and voluntarily. And they, they gave like Jesus. Wow. If you were to go back to Acts, I don't know if, you're, if your Bible's open to Acts 20, but just listen. As, as Paul described, just before he quotes this saying of Jesus, Paul says, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we can help the weak. I work to meet my own needs and the needs of my companions, secondarily. And thirdly, I worked to give to the needs of others. So giving should be aimed at the less fortunate, the weak. Giving is God's work when it's aimed at the weak. That's what Paul is saying. We worked hard to help the weak. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul said basically the same thing. This is why anyone should work. And he's talking to a group of people who had just come to faith in Christ. And he said, now anyone who used to steal, steal no more. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. But work... Do something with your hands. Do something that's legitimate. Now, they were doing something with their hands when they were stealing. But now do something with your hands that is legitimate. So that you will have something to give to those in need. Have you ever noticed that? You are to work intentionally to gain resources to give to others. So that a boost in your income does not necessarily mean a boost in your lifestyle. But should mean opportunities to give. That's what Paul said. Work hard with your hands so that you can meet your needs. Needs of your family, obviously. But so that you can have something to give to those in need. Why? This accomplishes the mighty work of God. There's another verse that Paul mentions. This is Philippians chapter 4. So the, the first verse in Ephesians 4 talks about giving to those in need, as did Acts 20. But now he's talking about giving for the sake of sharing the gospel. So Philippians, the little letter to Philippians, Paul wrote from the jail, is a thank you letter. And those who are touched by grace should be people filled with gratitude. So Paul's writing a thank you letter, and I'm so glad he did because we have such rich theology in the wonderful little book of Philippians. But he says in chapter 4, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you. By the way, the portion of Scripture that Pastor Doug read from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is talking about the Macedonian churches. That's northern Greece, and one of the most famous churches in Macedonia in northern Greece is the church at Philippi. And they were the first to give. And why did they give to Paul? Because he was a missionary. And why was he a missionary? He was, again, as Acts 20 said, I'm running my race. I want to complete and finish the course. 
that God gave me to testify of the grace of God's gospel. So Paul, we're going to give you money. We're going to support you so that you can travel and share the gospel. And then other churches got in on the giving. And other churches throughout Greece joined in as well. The scripture gives us some biographies of generosity giants. Let me just name a few. The widow who gave her might. That was generous. Right? That's all she had. Percentage-wise, it doesn't get any better than that. Some people want to give the widow's might when their income is extremely large. The point of the passage is not that you just give a penny and a widow's might is less than. It's the idea that you give sacrificially. She's a giant in generosity. Or how about Mary, who had this beautiful white vase filled with ointment that it was extremely expensive. And Mary, who loved to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn, sat at the feet of Jesus and poured the ointment on his feet. And Judas was there, John 13, and Judas said, this should not be done. This money should be sold to the poor. It's too expensive to be poured out on someone's feet. And of course, then John gives us a little insight that he learned later that Judas said this because he was the treasurer. <laughs> and he was stealing from the treasury. Your attitude toward money often reveals where your heart really is. Mary's heart was with Jesus. And Jesus said, this is okay. This extravagance is okay because she's not only demonstrating her devotion and love, but she is preparing my body for burial, which some of you people have no idea of. Theologically, she's miles ahead of you. She's a generosity giant. But the church at Philippi and the other churches in Macedonia, go home and read 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And you will be amazed at their grace giving. So giving reflects the nature of God. And giving accomplishes the work of God. But thirdly, and this is where everything turns on its head. Because giving brings upon us the blessing of God. If you receive, you are blessed. If you give, you will receive, and you are doubly blessed. Does that make sense? If you only receive, you shortchange the equation and the process. But when you give, it's the boomerang blessing. When you give, God's blessing comes back to you. Now, that's not your main motive for giving, but it's an okay motive because it's a biblical one. It's more blessed to give because in the end, more blessing comes back to you. Wow, that takes faith, doesn't it? Yeah. It takes a, takes a change heart to be generous like God. Look at Luke. Chapter 6. By the way, 
The Beatitudes, we commonly read them in Matthew chapter 5, but Luke's version is in Luke chapter 6, the Beatitudes. And Luke says this, verse 38, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured into your lap. I mean, the scripture is going overboard. Jesus is going overboard to tell you that when you give, it's more blessed because it comes back to you. And then he ends the verse with this phrase, the amount you give will determine the amount you get back. I think that's a New Living Translation. <laughs> you know, we talk about giving one one-tenth of our income. What if our income was determined by our giving? God says, okay, next month, I'm going to give you a percentage based on what you gave last month. Didn't give anything? You're going to have a tough month. What if God turned that around? And you know, sometimes he does. Because when we don't give to God, he has a way of getting it anyhow. Know what I'm saying? He'll take it through other means. More blessed to give it and then to receive the wonderful blessings that come. And not always material. They're blessings of peace. Blessings of fellowship. Blessings of ministry. With other people? The boomerang blessing. You see, giving reflects the image of God and it conveys the grace of God and it accomplishes the work of God and it secures the blessing of God and it results in the glory of God. So remember, it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. How about this from Proverbs chapter 11? Proverbs 11 says, one person gives freely, yet gains even more. One person is stingy and loses everything. A generous person will prosper, and those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Do you believe that? One private investigator said, if you let me see your checkbook, and the receipts from your credit cards, I can tell you where your heart is. That's all I need. Because money displays our spiritual level of maturity or lack thereof. And it takes faith to say if I give, even sacrificially, God will meet my needs and bless me deeply. When I refresh others, I myself will be refreshed. And this whole idea of giving and receiving is beautifully portrayed in 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. And you know this verse. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. What does that mean? God, read Philippians chapter 2. God, Jesus in heaven is equal with God. 
He doesn't count it robbery to hold the title God. He's not taking something that doesn't belong to him. But nor does he grasp onto it, unwilling to let go of it. He's rich, but he became poor. How did he do that? He became a baby in Bethlehem. He lived a life of relative poverty. He became poor for your sake so that you through his poverty, which led to the cross, death, and you see that in Philippians, he left heaven to become a man, not just a man, but a servant, not just a servant, but one who would die, not just one who would die, but one who would die the cruel death of the cross. Every step is down. He became poor so that you through his poverty might be rich. I love the way the New Living Translation has that last phrase. So that by his poverty, he could make you rich. How rich you are, dear believer. How rich I am. Because of forgiveness of sins in Christ, because of the death of Christ, he made me rich. He gave me the righteousness that he earned. Blessed gift. The only way you can get into heaven is to be perfectly righteous. The only way you can be perfectly righteous is to be found in Jesus Christ. Covered with the coat of salvation. And when you have that gift, you are blessed indeed. John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress will often go from his allegory into short poetry, and he does so at one point when he says this, A man there was, they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. Proverbs 11. Do you believe it? Time will tell. Your checkbook will show. But the point is, when you follow God in his giving, you are richly blessed. That's why John Wesley used to say, make all you can, save all you can, give all you can. Pretty good philosophy. The more you make, the more you can give. And we're going to see from 1 Timothy chapter 6 that it's not wrong to enjoy the blessings that God has given you. You don't have to live in poverty. The saints at Ephesus were not living in poverty. But sometimes they abuse the riches that they had. We have to admit that most people who live in America are not living in poverty. There are some. But most of the people in this room, I'm sure many of the people listening on live stream today, we would be considered rich anywhere else in the world, right? Now you say, well, I'm not as rich as Warren Buffett. Yeah, compare yourself to him. Nobody is, except for a few crazy people who someday will lose all of that because you can't take it with you. But you can send it ahead of you. It takes faith to believe Proverbs 11. One person gives freely, yet gains even more. The law of eternity. Legend has it that there was a man who was 
traipsing through the desert somewhat lost and dying for a drink of water when he stumbled upon an old shack. It was roofless, weather-beaten, but he found in one corner some shade for the sun and he began to rest. Moments later, he noticed a rusty old pump and was hopeful it had water. He made his way over to the pump and began to pump it and nothing came out. He pumped hard and for what seemed like a long time and was devastated because it offered no cold water for him to drink and he sat down in despair. That's when he noticed a jug off to the side covered in dust. He wiped it off and there was a note on the jug which said this. You have to prime the pump with all the water in this jug, my friend. Before you leave, be sure to fill the jug again for the next traveler. And now, he had a problem. I mean, if he popped the cork from the jug, he could, he could drink and he would survive and quench his thirst but he could leave nothing for the traveler to come next. But he had to, by faith, believe what that note said. Pour all the water into the pump. That's an act of faith. What if it doesn't work? What if that was written long ago and those words are no longer valid? Words written centuries ago can have no meaning for me today. How can I believe them? But he had to make a choice. And so reluctantly, he poured all the water into the pump. He grabbed the handle and began to pump, and nothing happened. And he pumped, and nothing happened. And then finally, there was a, a trickle that dribbled out, that became a steady stream, that finally was a gushing flow of cool, fresh water. And he filled the jug and drank the whole thing. <laughs> and he filled the jug again and drank the whole thing until he was satisfied. And he filled the jug finally and put the cork in it for the next traveler to come. And he added his own words to the message for the next person that would travel by. He said this, believe me, <laughs> this really works. But you have to give it all away first before you get anything back. And that is the law of heaven. It is more blessed to give, Jesus said, than it is to receive. Let's make it true in our lives. Heavenly Father, it is tough for us of earth and clay to be separated from our things. Greed and materialism grab hold of the heart in this part of the world, maybe more so than it does in any other place. We long to be rich if we have nothing, and if we have much, we long for more. And we've forgotten the law of heaven, the beatitude of Jesus. It's evidence that our life perhaps has not been changed by grace, that maybe God's Spirit doesn't dwell within or not in control.
Or maybe because we don't believe what's written on the jug. What is written on the holy pages of Scripture. We don't believe it. So we drink of all the water we get, keep it to ourselves. And care not for the traveler who comes later on. Change our hearts. Help us to die to self that we might live for Christ. And living for Christ means loving others. Lord, speak to our hearts in this moment of quietness as we continue praying.